0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Row Presents 90s Films Turn 30. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And it feels like forever ago since I last joined you in this spin-off series, and in which we covered Night of the Living Dead, which is available now, as well as all the past episodes of this spin-off series are available on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Uh, I'm working on Amazon Podcasts right now, so... Um, all of that good stuff there, and you've had plenty of time to catch up if you're paying attention to spin spinoff series. So thank you for joining me. I know I'm a couple days late on the anniversary date of the two movies we're going to be covering today, So, but that's okay because we're still all around celebrating the year 1990 and the 30-year anniversary of all the movies that were released this year, specifically the ones I've been covering. So we're pushing through. We're almost towards the season one finale. And um, this is actually the first episode that's going to feature two movies. In which I'm calling a double feature. And uh, today it's going to be Child's Play 2. And Dances with Wolves. Now some of you may be thinking, what the hell? That's a weird double feature. Well, the reason they're bundled together is because these two movies were actually released on the same day. So that's why. So when you... When you're listening to this series going forward, and if you hear that a double feature is coming up, that's because both of those movies were released on the same day. Also, there's going to be a couple where there's three movies that were released in the same day. So I'll call that a triple header. So just a little bit of explanation on that. But again, two very diverse, two very different movies for today's episode. And I got to say, I enjoyed both of them a lot. But the first one we're going to start with is Child's Play 2, which is, of course, the sequel to Child's Play, which was released in 1988. So this sequel is coming two years later. Um, Yeah, let's uh, let's jump right into it. So without further ado, this is Child's Play 2. Chucky's back. Enjoy the show. Are Jack? Chucky's back. How's it hanging, Phil? Child's play, too. Peekaboo. He's the original. He'll take your breath away. Uh, uh, this fall, Chucky rules. Did you miss me, Andy? I sure missed you. Child's play to keep an eye out for it. Alright, here we go. So this is the, uh I want to say, fourth sequel that I've covered here in season one of this spinoff series. And I gotta say, it's probably the most enjoyable one, but also because it's super straight to the point. And I love it, especially for horror movies. Um, most recently here in 2020, I went to go see a movie called The Empty Man, which was built as a like horror suspense thriller. And that movie was like two and a half hours. Like no horror movie should ever exceed an hour and 30 minutes, maybe an hour and 45 tops if you got some good scares and you know, want to add in an extra set piece to make the movie a little bit more impressive, but anything over two hours for a horror movie is a little too much. Now, I know we had the It movies a couple of years ago, and, you know, I'll admit those were probably a little too long, but for the most part enjoyable or entertaining enough, but, but there's rare exceptions to the rule, so for the most part, keep your horror movies under uh, that hour and a half mark because you know you kind of could overdo it with the kills and the scares and the cheap thrills, all that stuff. So, Child's Play Two is certainly straight to the point. So, I didn't go back and revisit the first movie. Like, so you all know my history with horror movies, as I mentioned on this show. Uh, as a kid, I, I was I was a scaredy cat, stayed away from horror movies. You know, I think about also. A television show that used to air on HBO called Tales from the Crypt. The intro to that show used to scare the shit out of me. And my, ne- my next door neighbors could tell you, you know, we used to get together and, and all this stuff and, you know, do sleepovers and, you know, have movie nights and you know, all that fun stuff when you're kids. And anytime the Tales from the Crypt stuff, like they, they wanted to watch all that shit. But I was, I was always never about it. I was, I would always go hiding or, or whatever. So. You know, just just to give you more of a background of how much of a wuss I was as uh, when it came to horror movies, specifically in the '90s, growing up as a kid. But you know, as a grown-up now, I, I'm more open to it. Uh, I can probably tell you that this year, I probably seen more horror movies than any other genre, which is new for me. It's new ground, and it's okay. You know, we, I gotta adapt. I gotta evolve. I gotta broaden my horizons a little bit. So going back to visit these child's play movies were easy for me and i was doing it even in the late hours of the night so just just goes to show that you know i got over my fear of all that stuff um so yeah the the first child's play movie i didn't go back and watch that one i went to basically it was like a recap of it so i went to go check it out and uh, looked up some stuff on youtube and i gotta admit that one looks a little bit more frightening i'm sure at some point i will I will watch it and sit down and just to compare, just for myself, not really for this show. This is more about the sequel, but just trying to give you a little context before I dive into part two. Um, I like the look more of Chucky in that one. It's more scarier. He's more darker in terms of color and and scheme and, and the whole buildup of the doll. I know for the second one, they like hammed it up just because it's it's a franchise now. So they want to make it more commercialized and sell more Chucky dolls. And if you go back to the to the the way it looks in the first movie, it kind of looks a little like not marketable, not sellable, so they they did amp it up on that. But with that, it kind of makes it more cartoonish and more outlandish. Which is what the sequel ends up being anyway, but it it's entertaining. So uh the child's play movies have been around forever. And even I believe I want to say it was either last year or in 2018 they did a, a remake uh, of it just to update it for modern times now i enjoyed that one i, I went to go see that one in the theater and it was okay uh, i enjoyed it for what it was but uh what the child's play of the originals what that one got really right was the voice and the tone of the character uh i believe that in the new one they got mark hamill who for those of you that don't know that's luke skywalker and he's pretty good with voices and you know he's done the joker for the batman animated series plenty of other different things but his version of uh of chucky just didn't work for me and it wasn't scary enough you know that was that was one thing when revisiting child's play too is the the voice of chucky i think it's brad Dourif who does the voice for it is just uh it's frightening enough that still holds up and the facial expressions and all that stuff all of that still works so uh Let's dive into Child's Play 2. Here is the synopsis as given to us by boxofficemojo.com. This is a website where you can check out all the box office analytics of any movie that you've ever wanted to check out. Now, I know box office numbers haven't been tracked forever, so if you're looking for stuff like in the 60s and 70s, you're going to kind of be shit out of luck on this web website. But for the most part, most of the 80s and all the way up until today, it's very detailed and on whether you want to look at you know how it did on its opening weekend um how it did in its long run daily weekends all that stuff holidays all time there's so many different avenues on this website that you can navigate to see all the numbers uh movies that you you wanted to see how they played out in theaters and it's fun for me i can spend hours on this website um we're in a pandemic right now still so we don't have those big blockbusters coming in so this website hasn't really been that useful to me in the present tense, but as far as like going back for this series and looking up all this stuff, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's powered by MDB Pro, uh, which is another, uh, website app that you could download and you can look up cast, trivia, history of movies. Uh, I like to use it all the time when I'm watching movies because there's always somebody who pops up in that, in the film where you're like, gosh, that person, they look familiar, but who the hell? what's their name and i guarantee you, you use that app and, and you'll find your answers real quickly so i love it to death so these two websites uh are very useful for this series and just very useful in general when watching movies so uh just a little bit of info on that anyways here is the synopsis while andy's mother is admitted to a psychiatric hospital the young boy is placed in foster care and chucky Determined to claim Andy's soul is not far behind. So just to recap, in the first movie, they do supposedly kill the Chucky doll. right? They blow it up to shit. They shoot the, the, the hell out of it while it's burning to death. And you think that's the end of it. But of course, in horror movies, in terms of like slashers, you look at your Michael Myers, your Freddy Krueger's, your Jason's. They never die. They always come back. So, it's no shock that the Chucky doll and the soul inside it do survive from the first movie. And the movie opens up with uh, them like redoing the doll and the corporations behind the good guy dolls trying to cover up and trying to find out what happened. You know, nobody really believed uh, either Andy or his mom, who was the only one who actually believed him. And she ends up getting as mentioned in the synopsis she gets thrown into a psych ward so and he's left to fend for his own with a foster family but that's getting more into the story and we'll talk about that in just a little bit um want to talk about the critical uh reception of this movie and let's start with siskel and ebert who uh i mentioned before this is uh these were the two most influential critics of our time especially during the 90s I know now in 2020 everybody's a movie critic, everybody's a blogger, everybody's got something to say about movies. So, uh, but back then, like the the field was very very small, and these two were at the very top of the list. Um, they were split on it. Um, Siskel kind of just thought the movie was dumb and silly and all that stuff, which is fine. I mean, I, I get all of that rhetoric, and if you feel that way about the movie you know that that's fine like it's justified i won't defend it i won't be like oh he's wrong um but either way he's entitled to his opinion ebert on the other hand did enjoy the movie uh the filmmaking and all the process behind it uh he just didn't like it in terms of like a human being and and the stuff that happens in the movie there's a lot of violence in this movie he was just like oh man a lot of this stuff is just really bad it's like morally bad and like yeah you can turn off your brain for that because it's a movie just because you enjoy it doesn't mean you're like into like hardcore violence or anything like that you can just watch it as a piece of entertainment but it, it is funny that ebert does uh notate that in his review but he did like it so there, there were split thumbs up thumbs down and uh now let's turn our attention to rotten tomatoes which i don't really i never use this as a determinate determining factor for me in terms of whether i'm gonna go see a movie or you know, I don't let critics ever sway me, I always, you know, whatever I believe about a movie is what I see through my eyes, and and no one can ever change that, no one can ever change your experience, so please, folks, like, don't ever get swayed by critics, I always tell this to people, like, go be your own critic, like, yeah, I can have my thoughts on a movie, and I can tell you what I think about it, but, you know, I, for the most part, I always usually end those conversations with, but go see it for yourself, to see, to find out what you really think, so, um, but I like to use it in terms of what the critics are thinking altogether and then what the audience is thinking altogether. So um here's the there's no really like synopsis consensus for the critics here, but out of a total of 16 reviews. And again, this is 1990. So like the field again was very shrunk. Uh Now in 2020, you would get probably like 200, yeah, probably around 200 reviews for this movie. Um, but there was only 16 that that have been compiled for this website. And the combined score is a 44%. So that's rotten. So for the most part, a lot of the critics didn't enjoy this sequel. And I'm sure the first movie is a lot better. And again, I'm not going to make a a complete uh, analysis on that because I haven't revisited it in a very long time. And just going off the little YouTube clips that I saw, that's not enough for me to, to judge or, or say that they're accurate on that. Um, the audience was almost in compliance with them they're at a 47% and this was out of 120 125,000 users. So these are people that rated this movie on this website and you know they also gave it for the most part a thumbs down. Um, the first one is probably more serious, a little more darker. This one you could tell the cheese is hammed up to about a 80 or 90 again they're turning this into a franchise so they have to make it more marketable uh maybe add a little bit more of a comedy tune to it i mean the first one like it just yeah i'm sure there's funny moments in it but the clips i was looking at like yeah it's it's a little bit more serious um so yeah that's the the critical consensus on that so now let me jump into the the stuff that uh, about this movie whether i liked it or didn't like it so the first thing of course is uh the charismatic Brad Dourif who does the voice of Chucky uh that holds up very strongly very menacing and uh, one of the things that used to scare me as a kid whenever i would you know pass by while this movie was playing on television or whatever is the yelling and the and the cursing that Chucky does like where he's like, like that that stuff was just very very frightening in the way he would just pop out and the way he runs and uh now watching it as adult, it's very silly and even when he curses like sometimes the cursing is uh is so like forced like there's a moment in the movie when he's maneuvering around to get to andy's house and he's in the possession of this one guy and he takes control over him and holds a gun to his head or whatever and one of the first lines is uh um uh, now park this piece of shit. And like, it just feels so forced. But also so funny. Like coming from a doll. Like just the way he curses. And you know there's a lot of F-bombs. And bitch. And this and that. And again it's hammed up. To to make it more comedic. And more marketable. Like to make Chucky a real. Full-fledged cartoonish character. But for the most part his intentions are still truly evil. You know he wants to take over the soul. Of a child. And he'll do whatever he can. to 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 get uh that plan done which includes murdering like tons of people in the process so that was my first thing about this movie uh the second thing that i liked was actually the the the, the direction here um director john lafia who's uh takes over for the second the sequel the first one was directed by tom holland um no not spider-man for those you younglings listening out there um so he takes over for this one. Um, a lot of interesting sequences, specifically, and Ebert mentions this, and I really agree with him. The, the final act that takes place at the toy factory, and the way all the dolls are stacked up, and, and they kind of form like this little maze. So when the chase is going on between Chucky, uh, Andy, and, uh, the other female pro, uh, protagonist in this film, her name is, I don't know, I forgot the actress's name, but, uh, her her name in the movie is uh kyle which is weird for uh, uh I, I mean i've never heard that as a female name i've heard kyler but not kyle and and i don't mean to make offense or anything like that just never heard that for a girl's name before in a movie so that was a little bit of um uh, not annoying but like it it stuck out a lot whenever they were mentioning like kyle like what are you talking about oh yeah that girl so um, not a lot of character development um a lot of these people are scumbags for the most part so whenever chucky does uh brutalize murder you know whatever he has to do it's kind of like uh well they have it coming so as i mentioned it and I'll get back to Kyle in just a bit um so andy is placed in foster care because his mom's in a psych ward because no one believed him about the doll and the 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 corporation behind the good guy dolls are trying to cover everything up so um and he's placed with this uh foster family, and the mom's, like, very welcoming of the kid. So her I kind of feel bad for because she's trying to make the best of a situation. But the dad in that foster family is such a dick, such an asshole, that throughout it you're like, oh, okay, Chucky's going to get this guy, and he's going to get him good, and he's going to deserve it, and he does. But uh it's weird, though, that you make a lot of these characters unlikable to the point where, like, you're kind of rooting for Chucky to kill them, which is i don't know i don't know if that's intentionally done by the uh, the screenwriters and stuff but if that's the point then okay they succeeded in that and if not then if we're supposed to sympathize with some of these characters that die um they they executed poorly on that so um yeah but back to the kyle character she's kind of becomes andy's uh go-to in terms of like hey like you might be the only person that's gonna believe me, and it's gonna take like her actually going through an experience with Chucky to finally come to fruition. She kind of plays like the de facto mom in this one, so she doesn't get a lot of character development here you know she's first resistant to Andy and you know she just looks at him like a little punk little brother and Andy's like not really annoying in the slightest like he's just so very chill about everything, and when stuff goes wrong, he's kind of just like standing there with this like droopy face and like they're just always getting mad at him or not believing him and he's just kind of like just there he's kind of like just phased out and it's weird i don't know why you would feel the need to get mad at this kid like he's just you know there's a psychotic doll after him and like i mean one of the tropes i hate in movies and i get it in terms of like plot and uh, building up tension but whenever it's like When people don't believe you on something, whether it be whatever, an alien sighting, or this person's the one who really did it, and everyone around them is always like, oh, well, you're out of your mind, like, this can't possibly be, or this can't possibly happen. And it's a trope that's overdone in movies, but I get it for a horror movie like this. Of course you're going to have everyone not believing you about a psychotic doll on the loose trying to take your soul, and the way Andy describes it whenever he's... Um, talking to these other characters about what Chucky's trying to do to him. Of course it sounds preposterous. But, you know, given how the first movie ended, you figured there would be a little bit of believability in his story. But yet that just goes to show that how far like corporations will go to cover up, just to make sure there's nothing going on. And it was just, uh, I don't know, I guess like a little error in their ways as far as like that good guy doll. But there's no actual serial killer soul trapped in the body of a of a play doll so yeah that trope is overdone but i get it and uh so yeah so back to the director and the great job that he does in the set piece specifically in the final act with um at the toy factory and the battle between chucky andy and kyle a lot of fun stuff is done especially the way they (laughs) they just tear apart chucky limb from limb And, you know, he's just coming apart at the seams, like the part where Chucky gets his hand stuck, I think, in one of the machines, and he's, like, ripping it apart. And, and, and again, this just goes to the charismatic performance of Brad Dourif doing the voice, and he's just in such agony when he rips off his hand. It's a doll, but it's kind of like he's becoming human inside that doll, so when he rips off his hand, like, yeah, you see flesh and blood, and it gets gory, and all that stuff is done really well and then how they eventually you know just destroy chucky e and he keeps trying to come back and come back And they do all these things and i mentioned the maze thing with the the toy dolls um in that factory and they're doing that chase it kind of reminded me of the shining a little bit so maybe that was a a little bit of an homage to that so that was really well done So again, great job to the director here. Again, only an hour and 23 minutes. This movie breezes by, doesn't waste any time. Chucky gets from point A to point C as far as like getting to Andy like super quickly. Uh, that's why there's not really much character development other than Chucky and Andy who we really truly like, like that's who you really care about anyway. So, uh, the movie does what it's supposed to do. Is it a little bit more cartoonish? Yes. Is it more, gory probably yes but again it's a franchise so they're trying to you know sell toys they're trying to just market it even more and um yeah so uh i jump i fast forwarded a little bit so we we went to uh, so i got two things that i've talked about that i liked about this movie Uh, i guess the the third thing and this is this is going to be a dislike but it's not too much of a hindrance um is the, the the whole thing with with uh, Andy's mom, right? So they put her in this psych ward, and it's mentioned at the beginning, but then there's like never any return to it. Like they don't, you know, they could have added in the scene where his mom's at the psych ward, and I guess just to give a little bit of more exposition and context, they could have added that scene. But you know, me as someone who overthinks it, like, yeah, like whatever like they could have added it but it's also not a big deal but again me that's just me nitpicking for the sake of nitpicking but yeah maybe like a a scene or two explaining like what andy's mom's going through is she worried about her kid is she she really like has she gone mental a little bit but who knows and i don't know if that's resolved in child's play three because spoilers there is another one uh there's so many chucky movies um i don't know if that's addressed in part three and i'm not sure if that one's going to make the cut uh, on this spinoff series so but I think for my own psyche I, I'll probably check it out just to see if there's any resolution on whatever happens with Andy's mom or if 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 Andy just grows up like uh just you know an orphan and you know bouncing around from foster family to foster family I know in the third movie he's in military school so I, I'm pretty sure there's more explanation in the third one but I can't say definitively and again I'm sorry folks but these movies weren't you know on my high list of stuff growing up you know when i was a kid uh you know so i'm barely like revisiting and, and learning more about these movies now as an adult but uh yeah that's my third thing it's a little nitpick no big deal but could it have added a little bit of context yes but the movie breezes by at an hour and 23 minutes maybe those two scenes add up to seven minutes you put it in a quick hour and 30 minutes it's still a short movie but um no big deal on that like I, I just mentioned, I, I fast forwarded a little bit and I didn't get to talk about the box office of this movie. So let's go back to that. So as I mentioned, um, the first movie opened in 1988 and that mo- movie grossed like about 45 million worldwide. So that's pretty, pretty successful for a small type horror movie. There's not a lot of like, you know, it's not extravagant to the point where like you need special effects or anything. I, I'm sure there is when this stuff like, involving like the lightning and the soul and the clouds the dark clouds all that stuff's probably like CGI but uh for the most part everything's practical the doll like you could tell everything's practical with this there's no CGI in it so 45 million is, is actually a pretty good debut for for this type of horror movie so the second movie obviously gets amped up I, I believe the first one had a 9 million budget so this one gets amped up just a little bit more to about 13 million which is not bad for for 1990 i think in 2020 they would probably give this movie i would have to look at the new one but didn't get to look at the budget but i would say around like 20 to 25 million maybe 30 Um and that's just because horror movies you tend to do well in box office and they don't cost as much so it's okay to give them a little bit of a higher budget so 13 million not bad and of course this movie opens on november 9th again i'm coming two days late after the actual anniversary release date. But that's okay. We're still full on 30 years mode for 1990. So released on November 9th. And it had an opening weekend of 10 million. So that's not bad. To me the bar in the 90s was around 20 to 25 million. Where it's like holy wow. That's a tremendous opening. So 10 million for a horror sequel is not bad. Uh, this movie actually doesn't outgross the original. So domestically it does 28 million. And then internationally, it did around 7 million for a total worldwide gross of 35 million. So in terms of growing the franchise, this movie actually doesn't do it numbers wise. But as I mentioned, the Chucky movies go on forever and ever. And there's even talk, I mean, they remade it just a year or two ago as a movie. I don't know if that'll get a sequel. Um, just, just going by the landscape that we're in right now, but there's been talks about a television show and I know there's all this, this, uh, you know nonsense with the rights and who owns it and all this stuff so um, th- there's a lot of stuff uh, with that into play so this franchise has been around forever and 30 years strong um, I gotta say it's still very relevant in pop culture so uh, but as far as the original sequel part two doesn't live up to the first one and then of course for my own psyche I'll check out part three and we'll see if that actually ends up making the cut for this spinoff series because I believe part two Three comes either two or three years later so it's not that far off from where we're at now so 35 million overall that's decent it's good enough i guess to warrant another sequel but again these movies don't cost too much very practical i love the pra- practicality of it all the fact that they actually use the doll for the most part like none of it looks cgi at all even like the face movements whenever Chucky's making like a mean face or yelling or whatever, like it actually looks like real movements coming from the doll. So none of that looks added in. And if they did that today, like you look at the, the new child's play, you've seen that one. You could tell some of it like is animated and I know we're in a CGI world. So it's easy to just, you know, do stuff like that now and not really put a lot of effort into it. Not saying that they don't ever try to put effort into a movie, but, you know a lost thing that's going to be happening in movies is practicality and it's one of the reasons why i enjoyed tenet so much from earlier this summer um or late summer i should say was the fact that there was a lot of practicality in it and you know actual you know car chases but like real car chases no cgi all that stuff so the child's play it was a nice welcome to just see it all like just straight up like straight up doll no cgi Of course, whenever he's doing his voodoo shit, there's the CGI clouds and the lightning and all that stuff, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, I talked about the box office, the critical reception, my three things about the movie. Um, did I enjoy it overall? Yeah, I did. I mean, is it, is it the best horror sequel ever that I've ever seen? No. Um, is it even like just judging it as a movie itself and being unbiased? Is it a good movie? No. But I enjoyed it. But I know how to separate that. Like, I can enjoy bad movies. Like, there's not really any plot in this movie other than Chucky wanting to get to Andy. But that's, like, straight up all it is. And everything else is just sidebar. And everything is just a means to an end. So it's, like, you have all these shitty characters. Minus the Kyle character, even though she's kind of, like, a, a bitch at the beginning. Uh, but then, like, you you end up having her as Andy's uh ally. So... But other than that, like everybody else is really underdeveloped and you don't give a shit about them. So that, I mean, that should really signal a bad movie, but it's a horror movie. These people are going to die and, and you're not going to really care about them, you know, by the time the movie's over. All you care about is did Andy survive? Was he able to destroy Chucky again? Which in this one he does supposedly, right? But again, they always come back in, in slasher movies. So I'm not going to do the uh how would I cast it in 2020 because it was just remade a year or two ago. Uh go check it out. Now I think it's available on like I'm pretty sure it's on a streaming platform somewhere like a Netflix or a Hulu. I'm sure it's there somewhere. It's got Aubrey Plaza um and I like her so she does a pretty good job as Andy's mom. It's a little bit more meta and self-aware which um it's kind of getting a little bit redundant with horror movies. But uh, it still worked for me. Like, it was fine. Like, I didn't hate the movie. Um, But comparing it to, like, the original Child's Play movies, nah, it's nowhere near as close. Um, Would this be a streaming movie in 2020 or would it be a theatrical release? Now, as I mentioned, horror has really made a huge comeback in box office within the last couple of years you know, most notably the Conjuring movies and It, the whole Conjuring universe and the Blumhouse movies. And those movies are all made like very cheaply. So like these movies easily turn a profit. So I can a 100% say with confidence that this would be a theatrical release. I know they just had, we had the reboot like a year or two ago, but again, the landscape has changed so fast in the movie theater industry. Like sometimes it's like there's movies that, would come out three years ago like they wouldn't get made today like that's how fast things have changed and how how much streaming has really come to the forefront of, of pop culture and just overall how we consume our entertainment But, yes, I can say with certainty if this movie, Child's Play 2, is coming out today in 2020, it would definitely be a theatrical release. It's one of those movies on a Friday night. You release it in October during Halloween season. It's going to bring out people for the cheap thrills. They'll have their laughs. They'll come out of it saying, oh, that wasn't scary. It was funny and stupid. But if you market it right as a horror movie, you're going to draw a good crowd. But just don't make it over two and a half hours like The Empty Man, one of the worst movies of the year, one star. Shout out to Johnny B. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But Child's Play 2, definitely a theatrical release in 2020. And now whether or not this movie holds up 30 years later. For me, it does because the whole Chucky, uh, the relevance of him is still very prominent in pop culture. Um, The way Brad Dourif brings so much life to that character, And so much menace and hostility. That still works 30 years later. And he's a good performer in the movie. Like, he's usually in these type of movies, the kid could be very annoying. But as I mentioned, this guy's very just nonchalant and chill. Even when Chucky's after him, like, or in the midst of attacking him, he's kind of like just there. I think there's only like one moment in the movie where like he's like screaming for his life, and that's when he has like a sock in his mouth. But it's like, so even then, like, you're not even hearing him annoyingly yell or anything like that he's kind of just like ah, ah. but for the most part he's so nonchalant he's chill i like andy uh he wasn't an annoying kid the new andy was kind of a little bit of an annoyance but um you know not 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 to the point where i'm like god oh, i wish this kid would just die and <laughs> not that i ever wish for kids to die in movies but blame the, the 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 makers of this movie, right they're the ones that had the story being a doll wanting to possess the soul of a child so blame those people but no that kid in the new child's play wasn't he was a little bit of an annoyance but not too much but the original andy i like him a lot he's a good protagonist i wish more people would believe him and um the kyle character's fine i know she's been in more stuff and i i mentioned the imdb app right i totally didn't use it to to look her up i was just so into the movie i didn't even bother getting my phone it was away from me at the time so Boohoo, whatever. I'll look it up later. Uh, so yeah, for me, anyways, it ages very nice 30 years later. It's a fun sequel. And again, it's just part of a never ending series. So, um, until they stop making them we're, we're just always going to keep talking about child's play. And yeah, that's the 30 year anniversary of child's play too. Good job by these people. I enjoyed it. A lot of fun. And that's the end of our first movie for this episode. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk Kevin Costner's directorial debut, the epic Dances with Wolves. This is Palace Off the Top Rope Presents 90s Films Turn 30. We'll be right back. In 1988, he startled us with a frightening vision. Then he was destroyed and left for dead now sorry Jack Chucky's back uh, come on you know we haven't gotten a decent night's sleep since he got here child's play 2 starts Friday November night at theaters everywhere Welcome back to the show, or if you if you skipped over the first movie because the one we're about to cover is way different than what we just talked about. Hello, for the first time, uh, this is Palace Off the Top Rope presents '90s Films Turn 30. This is our double feature, and we now turn our attention to Dances with Wolves, starring Kevin Costner and also directed by him as well. This is his directorial debut, and boy, what a movie! um in this spinoff series um i'm selecting the movies 30 to be exact to to just celebrate 30 years right 30 years 30 movies each year through the 90s um that's how i want to do it but one particular set of movies each year is going to be included no matter what now a lot of these some a lot of them are going to be favorites and a lot of them are going to be like oh man i want to see this for the first time see see what i think about it um but what's not going to be um you know, My decision is movies that ended up winning Best Picture uh, for that particular year. So for 1990, that was Dances with Wolves. This is the Best Picture of 1990 as determined by the, the Academy. Um, now, I just covered Goodfellas not too long ago with um, Daniel Tucker, which you can check that out. That's probably been the, the most fun episode I've done of this spinoff series so far. And right away... I was immediately going to assume that if we redid the Oscars for 1990, Goodfellas would for sure win Best Picture. Now, I say that having really, you know, really dived into Dances with Wolves, this was more just kind of like a a bias, like just really, like I'm really into Goodfellas, really into Scorsese, and it's just a really excellent crime mob movie. Uh, Perfect almost to a degree. And I just thought like, there, I mean for sure we redid the oscars yeah this one gets it right away and boy was i completely wrong in revisiting this uh dances with wolves movie for a first time really as an adult really paying attention to the themes and everything going on and i'll I'll get into my history uh, of my early memories of this movie which is gonna get a little bit emotional for me but uh, i'll explain why in just a bit but anyways, yeah, I was totally wrong and I was totally blown away by this movie, uh, watching it now 30 years later as a grown adult and, and just really getting a better understanding of it. So without further ado, in 1864, Lieutenant John Dunbar was searching for the frontier, but he will find the frontier within himself. This is Dances with Wolves. Enjoy the show. says here that you've been decorated and they sent you here to be posted actually sir i'm here at my own request why i've always wanted to see the frontier you want to see the frontier yes sir before it's gone there ain't nothing here lieutenant everybody's run off or got killed what about indians Buffalo. All right, here we go. So here are my earliest memories of Dances with Wolves. Um, I know I saw it as a kid, but I don't have much of a memory of it. And that's okay, because when we're kids, to really comprehend a movie like this, you really will forget about it easily because you want to see, you know, the turtles or a Batman or just something more friendlier, right? You're not really into the deep emotional uh, you know, just heartfelt stuff just yet as a kid. And the reason I saw it as a kid was because this was a movie I'm not sure if it was his favorite, but it was definitely one one of his favorites and one he always talked about, and that was my grandfather. He would always talk about dances with wolves. And I remember I believe he had the VHS version of it. I remember the Kevin Costner being in it. Always knew about Kevin Costner, you know, this guy was just such a staple in the nineties and what an underrated like overall career I guess you could say Kevin Costner has had. Now I say that now as we're in twenty twenty, but I don't know how he was perceived like in the entertainment industry as far as like one of those big time names like a Tom Hanks or a Denzel, a Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, like all those people. Like I know he was a guy that you could he could draw on his name. And he's been in, in a lot of movies over the years. And even as I'm recording this today, he has the number one movie in America called Let Him Go. And he's on a hit television show right now called Yellowstone. So Kevin Costner has been around forever. And uh so, yeah, so I remember his face very early throughout the 90s. And he became very prominent in other movies as well. So, again, I remember my grandfather would always talk about this movie like so much, like Dances with Wolves, Dances with Wolves, and... I know he showed it to me as a kid. And again, I remember glimpses of it, but not enough to really say like, oh, yeah, like that was a good movie or, you know, even 30 years later, as I really now fully watched it as an adult, like this was kind of like a first time watch for me in a sense. So um, thought about him a lot while watching this, which made it m- the movie even more emotional, but it made the movie even more better. Just no, just with his spirit all around that movie, like I could feel it. I don't, I don't know. It's a weird thing to explain, but uh, I could sense that a lot when I was watching it last night, and I guess that's why I'm very giddy about it today. As as I'm talking to y'all about it, it was just such a such a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, so let's talk. So those are my earliest memories of it, right? My grandfather talking about it constantly, and I know he showed it to me once, and uh, very. Kind of a little bit, very adult for a PG thirteen movie. Like, uh, I'm not sure how it got away with that as opposed to being rated R. There's a lot of, there's a lot of violence in here, and, and for sure this movie would probably be rated R in 2020. But it would also probably be a little bit more, like the violence would be a little bit more detailed, which is why it would garner that look. But the fact that this got away with the PG thirteen rating is uh very interesting but again it was 1990 it was it was a different time so you could get away with stuff like that you look at a movie like back to the future that's rated pg and they're saying the word shit and son of a bitch all this stuff so like that wouldn't fly today that movie would definitely be pg-13 but again just different times where we're at we just had to accept it for what it was um anyways here is the plot synopsis Dances with Wolves and I won't go into this whole spiel since this is a double feature and I'm sure you don't want to hear me rattle again about what the importance of websites like Box Office Mojo and IMDb Pro are to me but not only for that but just in terms of searching your history on movies. So here is the synopsis. Lieutenant John Dunbar assigned to a remote western civil war outpost befriends wolves and Indians making him an intolerable aberration in the military. So this is a three-hour epic. As I mentioned, this movie goes on to win Best Picture, and it's rightfully deserving of it. And this is a three hours that, like, the first ten minutes are like, oh, man, it's going to be – it's just going to drag. But then by the time you know it, you're at the two-hour and 50-minute mark, and you're like, oh, my God, it's about to end. Like, what else is going to happen? Like, it just – it flew by for me. I saw the runtime, and I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I – Usually for me, I don't care about length, but it also depends on what it is, and I know with a movie like this, it's like, it's more of a western, again, it's about the frontier and all that stuff, so I'm like, oh man, this, it, it's probably going to drag, right, but no, I promise you it doesn't. If you're engaged in, in in the story, the all the emotions that are running through with this thing, like, it just, it flies by so fast, because it's so gripping, and so entertaining, and so emotional, just Overall, just very awesome. So that is the synopsis of the movie. It's a pretty good explanation of what it is. um There's a lot of subtitles in this movie because it's Kevin Costner interacting with the the Indian tribe or the Native Americans, however you want to say it. I don't, I'm not trying to be politically correct. That's just the way they talk about it in the movie. They say Indians a lot, and I know it's not really, I guess, the thing to say anymore. You just call them the rightful way. It's the Native Americans um so a lot of his interaction is with them so it is through their language so there is a lot of subtitles a lot of reading but that's fine like for those of y'all that have problems with that like just grow up like there's a movie that won best picture this year called parasite which also was pretty much entirely subtitles like it's fantastic it doesn't change whether a movie's good or not And if you can't read, then I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but it, it was fascinating watching this. And there's a lot of, it's a lot, it's a lot more of a quiet movie than you would expect. And that makes it even more beautiful, uh, poetically in a way. So, uh, it works a lot. And, um, yeah, this is a very basic, um, just description of what the movie is. So it's this guy, Kevin Costner plays a lieutenant in this civil war that's like you know coming to an end and all this stuff and again it's just a guy just lost within himself and he wants to go see the frontier because he knows that it's going to be, be taken over and it's not going to be a thing anymore uh within a short time as the you know the whites as they say you know they're going to eventually take over um but yeah so let's get into the critical reception of this movie now it's obviously going to be very, very positive because this is the movie that wins Best Picture, and usually those movies are always universally celebrated and beloved and all that stuff. And it sometimes it's warranted, and sometimes it's like, okay, it's a little, it's a little overrated. Like, calm down, like, with, get off your high horse a little bit with this movie. But this one, everything is earned. It's such a beautiful movie, and again, let's go to Siskel and Ebert, who gave this movie a very big two thumbs up. Um, everything that they mentioned about it. I loved, I agreed with everything, especially Ebert, who I'm kind of, I have more of a relationship with him more than Siskel, because Ebert, I would read his reviews later on as I was like growing up into a teenager. You know, I'd go to his website and read all the different movies. Like if there was a movie coming out, I wanted to know what he had to say about it. Now, whether he, he wouldn't sway my decision, but I definitely respected it enough that I, I wanted to know what he thought about it before going and checking it out. So he talked very highly about, you know, the way... In this movie, it's more respect kind of in a way to the, the Native Americans, to the Indians. Um, and I don't know if that's accurate, but I, I certainly didn't see them portrayed here in a negative light because it was more Kevin Costner and, and the white people having to adapt and having to learn their language and having to see th- things through their, their vision. So that was a nice little touch because with a movie like this, it's very easy to have you know and ebert mentions this you can dumb down the native americans and have them say like convert like dumb english language to try to learn the like i guess quote unquote american way um through through a white man's view but this movie doesn't take that approach it's the opposite and that's one of the brilliant moves that kevin costner does with his direction of this movie so again two very enthusiastic thumbs up from these guys uh, and then again of course wins best picture so now let's turn our attention to Rotten tomatoes now again the the field was very shrunk in 1990 so the reviews aren't there there's not like tons and tons of them uh as uh, if this were 2020 this movie would get like over 200 reviews for sure uh, but there's only 76 here that are notated on Rotten tomatoes so that it has a, a score of 83 percent which uh in this case means it's a fresh movie, which means it's it's positive. Everybody consents consensually, like most of them liked it. Uh but again it's it's not like high up in the like upper nineties or close to a hundred, you know, but it's still a very positive movie that everybody liked. And the same can be said for the audience. And there's two hundred and thirteen users here that have rated the movie on this website. So it has it at an eighty seven percent, so it's kinda like uneven keel. And that's usually how it is with movies that end up winning best picture. They're always usually almost identically lined up. So, um, not a shocker to me here. And here is the critics consensus for Dances with Wolves. It says Dances with Wolves suffers from a simplistic view of the culture it attempts to honor, but the end result remains a stirring western whose noble intentions are often matched by its epic grandeur. Now, as in terms of its point of view i really think this movie does a good job of trying to showcase both sides because you know you have the the quote unquote the whites the americans who are you know portrayed here for the most part as bad guys kevin costner is like the one intangible he's the one like pure good soul uh that wants to just really have a connection establish something find himself and um on the Native American side, you have the, the good tribe, but then there's also, there's a bad tribe in this movie as well, so kind of like, it goes both ways on both sides, so it really does try to hammer the point that, like, you know, there is pure and good, but there's also like evil in the world, so I think the movie does a pretty good job of establishing that on both ends, so uh kind of don't really agree with the, that first part of the consensus, but for the most part, you know, it, it gets a right on as far as like being epic and and its whole presentation is just such a an amazing like grandeur as it says here like it's just so so beautiful so well made and for for a guy who's directing his movie for his first time like kevin costner like man like he's like the original ben affleck like and i'm not trying to compare kevin costner or ben affleck to kevin costner but in terms of like you know wow this is his first directorial feature and like he already knows what he's doing like he knows the The beats and sounds and you know he just really knows how to tell a story so and uh that'll that'll be determined as far as like me checking out kevin costner's other two movies that he directed i think it was the postman in 1997 and then open range in 2003 so i want to see if his directing gets a little bit better i know i can speak on behalf of affleck he's done a really good job but Kevin Costner here, like, for a first feature and then to win Best Picture is just phenomenal. I think he won Best Director too, so that's a, just a, it's a trifecta for him. Hit movie, Best Picture, Best Director. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, so yeah, that's the, 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 the critical aspect of it. Now let's talk about the box office analytics of this movie. Um, it did have a budget of 22 million, which is, uh, I guess, pretty high for a movie like this i figured it would be higher just going off of all the sets and i know a chunk of this movie is pretty much outside and none of it looks like on it's on a stage at all like they really filmed this out like on a frontier like atmosphere they they had to have filmed this in the dakotas um i i believe i saw that in the credits but not really sure on that but i'm pretty sure they filmed it around there and some of these sequence here that they shoot is just so incredible it's like man like There's no way it had to have cost more than 22 million, but that's what it's being reported here. And it's been 30 years since it's release, and that number hasn't really changed. So I guess they got away with 22 million. And again, you know, the big star here is Kevin Costner everybody else is really small scale. So you're not really like, you know, having to pay a lot of uh, a good chunk of actors to be in this movie. And a lot of it is outside and it's all very practical and, you know, just very well done. So, Guess they were able to get it done in the 22 million range. Uh, again, this movie also opened November 9th officially, like in the US, but I know it opened a little bit earlier, like limited release. But again, this was one of those movies that was going to have an early release because it was going to have that buzz for the Oscars, just like I'm sure there is now. There's always movies that get released super earlier, like very private, like small markets because they want to test it out, and see how it does with audiences. Uh, so this one did have a, a little bit of an early start, but I'm still counting it. Uh, It's official release date in the US was November 9th, just like the other movie we just talked about, Child's Play 2. So, as far as its opening, on Box Office Mojo, it's listed at 598,000, which is very small. But I think this is taking into account that very, its original, like, debut, which I believe was I believe a couple of weeks earlier and it was only probably in a couple of theaters. So that's probably where that number stems from, but it doesn't matter because this movie ends up to become a very big box office hit. So domestically, this movie grosses 184 million. And then internationally, this movie did really well overseas, 240 million for an overall worldwide total gross of 424 million. Now, (laughs) as a, as a movie, this just hits all the marks, right? So you get your box office numbers, you get the critical acclaim, you win the Oscars. And then Kevin Costner just is the director too. Like, this is just, I mean, is this like the best thing he's ever done? I mean, that's not for me to say, but, and I still, there's some movies in his filmography that I would love to check out. But like, <laughs> if you're an actor in Hollywood, how does it ever get any better than that? Like, you get all the box office receipts, top-notch. You get all the critical acclaim, top-notch. You get all the awards, top-notch. Like, jeez, and you're the star of the movie. That's awesome. So very, very successful movie, to say the least. Uh, now let's get into my three things about this movie. And they're all going to be fantastic because this movie was just tremendous. So beautiful, wonderful. If you have the chance, it's just such a great, it's a great movie right for this time right now, there's a lot of themes in this movie where it's like, you know, we could really use a movie like this to be released out into the world. Uh, if they updated this for modern times, I'm sure it'd be a little bit more grittier, maybe uglier, but this movie does really tell a good story about friendship, acceptance, finding yourself and, you know, just overall changing your whole viewpoint on the world. Um, so, the first thing that I want to talk about is Kevin Costner. I mean, I'm going to just flat out say it right now. This guy is a national treasure. And, um, I think maybe I've taken him for granted a little bit. And, and I, as I mentioned earlier, he has the number one movie in America right now. It's called Let Him Go. It also features Diane Lane, which I'm going to check out. It just, it looks really fantastic. I work at a movie theater, so I've walked in on some parts and it's just, it looks fantastic. Um, and dances with wolves. And go back to that. That was thirty years ago. This guy's still going at it strong. Like I'm definitely, you know, you know, we're, we're we're coming to a point with a lot of these stars where they're really up there now in age, and some of them do start to pass away, you know, and that's just a part of life. But we really do got to take the time to appreciate the people that are still here and, and celebrate them while we can. And I think Kevin Costner is one of those people, like. I want to go back and really do a deep dive on his filmography because there's a lot of good stuff in there and a lot of stuff that gets overlooked because, you know, you have your bigger stars. And I know he was one of them in the 90s, but I just feel like still, like, doesn't get really the recognition and the respect that he deserves. Like, right now he's on a hit television show called Yellowstone, and I think right now he's more known for that. But I don't want that to be his legacy because he has a tremendous list of great movies. And if you, if you just look at the 90s, JFK, Tin Cup, um, you know, The Bodyguard, Wyatt Earp, like he's done all these fantastic movies and there's a lot of them that I'm not even naming now. And even movies before this, like The Untouchables and, and, and No Way Out and Revenge and, and all these other movies. And he's so good at also just, uh, at doing the Westerns. He's, he's, he's really into that genre, which made him the perfect director for this movie. And again, now I'm really interested. To go see his other one that he made, uh, Open Range with Robert Duvall. So I want to see him if he improves on that. He has such a respect for that. Uh, all the baseball movies he's been in, For Love of the Game, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams. Yeah, I think it's safe to say Kevin Costner is a is a national treasure, at least in my eyes. And I need to celebrate him more. He's one of the greats in, in the history of Hollywood and dances with wolves is probably his apex because again it's all just lightning in a bottle there and not that he's never hasn't done stuff great stuff before or after but that moment in time with this movie and just how beautiful it is and what what a tremendous job he does with it like that just makes him one of the all-time greats and i need to appreciate that more so that's my first thing about this movie kevin costner just carries this whole movie a lot of it is through his facial expressions and the way he changes throughout the movie. You know. He's a guy at the beginning that's very suicidal. Doesn't want to live. Goes on a you know. On a death mission. For himself. Ends up overcoming. Ends up visiting the frontier. Ends up getting a, a whole new outlook on life. Not just through the. His experiences in isolation. On the frontier. But through his relationships. With the Native Americans. The the, the Sioux tribe. And uh the woman he ends up meeting there and ends up falling in love with played by mary mcdonnell who is also fucking fantastic in this movie um yeah he's just the heartbeat of this movie he's he's so likable um this just oh man just what a fine performance um i don't think he won best actor that year but definitely won best director so that made up for that but yeah kevin costner was the first thing and the biggest thing why i love this movie uh and i'll add in his, his direction with that like there's a sequence in here where they're hunting buffalo and it is so riveting it's like three four maybe almost five minutes long and they're just chasing buffalo he's there with the native americans and they're running around they're hunting and i'm like how did they film this and I, there's no way like it all looked like real buffalo in, in and in a big herd and running around and and them on horses and all that stuff like how did they film that like, that's the beauty of of movie magic. And the fact that Kevin Costner nails this on his, like, first attempt, it's just like it, you, you can't help but marvel at it. Like, it's just so amazing. Again, if you watch this movie, just remember when that buffalo sequence comes up and, and they're hunting and, and, and it's just this big wide shot of them, like, just riding around. It's like, man, how did they do that? And uh, that's one of the reasons why I love movies. You know, you, you see pictures on screen and you're like, this is awesome but also like how did they do that and that's the magic of movies and why i love them so much uh the second thing and this was one of the things that ebert liked a lot as well was the the score of john barry which just makes it you know um people like me like i pay attention to this stuff but a lot of people don't realize that music in movies is really big and i'm not talking about like needle drops like a a rolling stone song or you know, whatever. I'm talking about actual scores of movies that just elevated to a whole other level and make it even more epic than it should be. For like a movie like Back to the Future, right? You know, it's a time travel adventure story coming of age and it's a wacky comedy, science fiction. But a lot of what makes that movie amazing is the, the, the theme song and the score in it. It's just so epic and it, it, it elevates it to such a degree where you're like, man, this is like, this is like a once in a lifetime type movie, and, and and not all scores are like that. Some of them are just background noise, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. It's just something to add to the movie. But there's times where like it elevates the movie, like your Star Wars, your Batman's, your you know any any superhero movie, any of like your top notch dramas. Uh, they have those epic scores to elevate it. And Dances with Wolves. This is a movie I think in twenty twenty probably goes a little bit more quiet no score a lot of nature sounds um but yeah no like the score just makes it more gives it more of an epic scale and makes it more poetic and and all that stuff so john barry does a really good job on it uh i was able to listen to it on it's on spotify i think it's i'm pretty sure it's everywhere um and just search it up it's just a very powerful like epic score it's perfect for this movie and again kevin costner just does amazing stuff all the way around and this score just elevates it to even uh, an even higher degree. And the third thing about this movie is uh the revelation of Mary McDonnell. Uh she was nominated for best supporting actress uh, in this movie. Uh she was listed with uh what's her name from freaking Goodfellas? Uh Lorraine Bracco? Karen um who probably would have been my pick until i saw this movie uh the winner of best supporting Actors that year was actually whoopi goldberg who does a tremendous job and goes don't get me wrong but the moment i saw mary mcdonald's performance in dances with wolves as stands with uh fist i think that's her name Yeah, they all have weird like names here just because it's it's part of the 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 tribes and, and what they do and spoilers dances with wolves is what the Native Americans call Kevin Costner. So that's that's why the title of the movie is what it is. That's what they call him. That's his name. And that's the persona he ends up um, taking on. Like, he's not John Dunbar. like that. He doesn't know who that guy was. But the Dances with Wolf guy, that's who he is. That's who his spirit is. That's who he embodies as a person, as a soul, as a whatever. Like, that's who he is. So just a little bit of context on that. But, yeah, she was she was the revelation of this movie a little bit more of the heartbeat and she could have just been a character that's there but has also given a really good backstory again this movie's three hours so they have the time to do it they give her a really good backstory and she's the bridge between the native americans and kevin costner's character in terms of like establishing a type of communication and the way she bridges because she's like she looks like she's a white woman but for the most part, like, she's forgotten how to really communicate in the English language. Like, she still knows it to, to to some degree, but she speaks more of the Sioux tribe's language. So for the most part, she's speaking in that language. But it isn't until she comes across Kevin Costner that she, again, tries to really bring back her English. And she's balancing both of those while, almost, while also, like, you know, trying to resist Kevin Costner, but also, like, falling in love with him at the same time. So it's just a beautiful romantic story as well. And she just does tremendous. I think she, she juggles so much here. Um, that I think she was, she would have been worthy of winning best supporting actress. Like it's just such a great role. It could have been just nothing. It could have been a plot device, right? This could have been easily for her to like just be put there to be like, Oh, we we have to have somebody that's going to be able to, to translate. But no, they give her, they give her, you know, some context they flourish her character they make you care about her and costner knows this and he executes that very well and mary mcdonald what a tremendous performance uh she's uh one of those like character actresses you know she's been in a lot of stuff but she's she's tremendous here and one of the the biggest reasons the movie is a success is because of her character and the way she interacts with with costner and Brings him even more down to earth. Not that he's like a far gone character, but just, you know, gets him to just be more of a sympathizer as well. So a uh, great job by her. And those are my three things about this movie. And I guess I'll add a little bit of extra. Just the, the shots, the, the frontier shots are amazing. Um, there's an interaction throughout this whole movie with uh, Kevin Costner and a wolf who he labels two socks because it's got two, uh, white feet in the front, like very white. So he calls them two socks. Very, very interesting relationship. Very, very well told as far as like not just human relationships, but just our relationships to nature, uh, and animals and all that stuff. There's a lot of that blended into this story. I can see why it was my, one of my grandfather's favorite movies. It's just so, so beautiful. There's a lot of, it, it's very, it's very violent, but it's also there's a lot of kindness to it in terms of the themes it's trying to tell. So I really appreciated that. It's just a fine movie. This is a four star American classic. It's a movie that we need right now because it, it it's really a movie about just mutual understanding. I really do believe that it's 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 people trying to just communicate and get a better understanding of one another, which I think is what this what this country really needs right now. I'm not not trying to get political, but we could use a lot of that, a lot of just trying to understand one another. And we're not going to always agree on everything, but just if you can get a better understanding of each other, I think we're going to be better off. And this movie does a really tremendous job of that. So I just fine job overall. Those are my three things about this movie. Um, If I were to redo this in 2020 How would I cast it? Who would I put in this role? Obviously, Kevin Costner's way older now. Um, Gosh, who could you put in a role like this where you just would really have to get a very, like, soft... Because this character that Costner plays, he's not a... Usually, Costner's good at playing, like, that tough guy role, but also with that very soft interior. But here, I think for the most part, he's all interior and he's very softy. Like, none of him is very menacing. And that that's the point of that character because he's just a lost person. Um, so there's nothing really menacing about him. He's just more just trying to get an understanding of the world and people. Um, I don't know who would really flourish in that today. I would really have to really do a deep dive. But, like, you know, if you're trying to sell this as a theatrical movie, you're going to have to put a top name in there. Like, I would love to see what a a non-sarcastic, very mellow, very more down-to-earth Robert Downey Jr. could do in a role like this. Like, I think he could do it. And uh, ha- having him interact with the Native Americans and just get a better understanding of himself, but not in in a self-comedic like comedic type way, which he's usually... He's very quirky and is very good with the one-liners being self-aware. But I would love to see him get stripped away of all of that and just just straight up like I want to see him like bridge a gap of communication with with like the Native American type characters and establish some to- type of of relationship I would love to see that Robert Downey Jr. I think would be interesting in this role I don't know what do you all think that was just at the top of my head <laughs> I, I really just bullshit at that <laughs> but uh does this movie Dances with Wolves, in 2020, is it a streaming release or is it a theatrical experience? This is tough because on the one hand, it's got all the makings of obviously your Oscar pedigree. So that right away signals that it could possibly for sure get a theatrical run, but it would be very limited. Like I don't think this movie would gross... $184 184 million in 2020. Absolutely no way. Even with somebody like Robert Downey Jr. Cause we've seen him outside of the MCU. Can't draw that kind of money. Kevin Costner, if you release this movie, like he's still well known, but not enough to that degree of box office magic like there was in the nineties. So would it get a theatrical run? Probably limited, but I can see this as a streaming, like a Netflix movie which sucks because this movie deserves to be just full on theatrical, like on many screens as possible because it's such a big movie uh, in terms of scope, in terms of how it's presented. There's a lot of like landscape big, you know, where you want to see it on the biggest screen possible, right? Because you can see a wide view of what Kevin Costner is looking at in terms of the frontier, but realistically it would probably be a streaming, um, release but it would still get i think all the nominations i don't think any of that would change in 2020 it would still probably get best picture for sure nominated best picture best director best actor best supporting actress best score best screenplay all that stuff now none of that would change in 2020 so for sure um that would stay intact but in terms of it being a a, a big money-making machine in the theatrical world i don't think so Would you have people that come out to see it for sure? Like there'd be, I could see a lot of people, like this movie would play well at the theater that I'm at. It, it it plays perfectly to my demographic of, of customers that come and see those movies. Like it would do really well, but overall not enough to where the studios are going to be like, yeah, let's give this a full blown theatrical release and let's see what happens. No, we're in a different world now. And that's one of the shames of, 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 of streaming really picking up steam is that movies like this are going to diminish like little by little and it's a sad thing i think but it's also a reality so i'm not you know i'm not blind to that so we adapt we evolve as a society but i i really wish these movies can still be made because Dances with wolves as a big studio movie would not happen like this was released by mgm and orion pictures which i mean it's not the biggest company but in the 90s orion movies were like a big deal this movie like nowadays would be like funded by like 10 11 different production companies this would be a movie that would start out with so many logos at the beginning and for those of you that go like to watch independent movies you know what i'm talking about in terms of like all the freaking logos where it takes forever for the movie to start um that's what would happen with this one so but I don't know. I could be wrong, and I would love to be proven wrong. But in 2020, this has a hurdle of it being a, a full-on theatrical experience. So there's that. And finally, and I think we all know where we're going with this. Does this movie age 30 years later? Absolutely, it does. Um, I have a. I'm sure I would have appreciated maybe not as much as a, a little kid, but maybe a, uh, going into teenager, young adulthood, I would have started to really appreciate this movie more. But now, seen as a full-grown adult, um, this is this is by far one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. It definitely would crack my top fifty if I made a top fifty list of my favorite all-time movies. It would be up there. Like it's just it's so beautiful. It's romantic. It's heartfelt. It's good-looking in terms of like the frontier and all that stuff. It's shot really well and a lot of the themes still hold today again it's a movie we would probably need right now so if you have the opportunity check it out it's available on stars that's where I saw it so I have the subscription to that service so I was able to check it out there or buy it I I would buy this movie I would love to see it in 4k I don't know if it's going to get remastered in that format but if it does I will definitely look into buying that copy because it was just such a really good movie and I'm so bummed that I'm barely appreciating his greatness now 30 years later, but better late than never when it comes to a movie like this. So I love discovering the magic of movies and doesn't matter in what age in life. The fact that I could still be amazed by motion pictures, even though there's movies like super old and still be like, Oh man, like it still resonates today. Like this, it's su- such, such a wonder. And I'm so happy. I added this well, not? I'm so happy that this one best picture uh, because I'm not sure if I would have included it on the list or would have made the cut. It probably would have just because there wasn't a lot in 1990. But for sure, I'm so glad that it won Best Picture because it for sure was going to make this list and and this show, and I'm super happy about it. This was a fun, fun watch. Um Really, really, really made the spirit feel good. So I highly, highly recommend it. And, uh, that's gonna do it for this double feature. Uh, thank you for joining me, guys. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, for sticking through two movies, <laughs> very diverse. I know. <laughs> um, I okay, to go check them out. Child's Play 2 and Dances with Wolves. Coming up next week, another double feature. And this was gonna be more lighthearted, more blocks, blockbustery, and, uh, Hopefully, I'll get my guests secured for one of them. Uh, it's going to be Home Alone and Rocky Five, which, yes, I'll be tackling another sequel in this series, but this, this, these will be more lighthearted. I, I'm really interested to see how I feel about Rocky 5 30 years later. I know I've seen it a dozens of times, and everyone craps on it and all that, and I know it's not the best in this series, but I really want to do another rewatch and see how I feel. If anything's changed, because opinions are ever changing on movies like you can like it you know 10 years ago and then you see it five years later and you're like that was a piece of shit or you could have hated a movie 10 years ago and five years later you'd be like what the hell was wrong with me that was fucking awesome so it changes perspectives change and rocky five is going to be one to see if if my viewpoint on it has changed home alone that one I, i i'm very familiar with But it'll be nice to revisit it 30 years later. That'll be coming next week as a double feature. So thank you, guys. And you can find this podcast on Spotify. Search Palace off the top rope. Hit the follow button. I would appreciate it so much. Uh, I do share this podcast link through my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through podbean.com. You can download the app. You can listen on your phone, your laptop. If you're an Apple person, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave me that five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. I'm trying to grow this show in season two. So the more that you rate it, or for those of you that have rated it already, thank you so much. For those of you that haven't, what are you waiting for? Please do me that favor um, and just label it five stars. Again, I'm not trying to... Uh, I'm not trying to get you to say that this show is the best, which I know it's not. But I am at least trying to get it to track and, and be, move up in the rankings. You know, I would love to get it noticed. You know, I, I try to put little goals for myself. So the whole point of year one was to, to get it moving consistently and do show after show after show and keep up with it. So I did that. I reached that goal. I did a full year of shows. So I'm so happy with that. And they're, they're all available now. Everything's in Canon. You can listen to it. Uh, but year two, I got, I got to make my goals bigger, right? Gotta, to, got to strive for more, strive for better. And that's my goal for year two is to get this podcast noticed just a little bit more. So if you could do that for me, rate it on Apple podcast, five stars. Thank you guys so much. Um, also available on iHeartRadio. Um, I'm working on Amazon podcast right now. I think it's done through Audible. That's getting processed right now. So hopefully it'll be available there. Just another platform, uh, in these ever long, platforms of of places where you can listen to podcasts so thank you guys so much uh we'll see you next week for home alone and rocky five have a good week guys dances with wolves is a sweeping epic with sensitivity says newsweek magazine vibrating with humanity affection and adventure pure movie making magic one of the year's most satisfying and entertaining films brilliant touching Romantic and spectacular, a 10-plus. Kevin Costner, Dances with Wolves.